Guys, welcome to the podcast. I want to thank you guys for your avid support of this podcast. I want to remind you guys that if you need to reach out to me, which I love interacting with each one of you, you can do so on my email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram. That's at jscottoutdoors. Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. They are the ones that make it possible for me to spend the amount of time that I do on it. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. They are the best Western hunting resource out there. They've got the best draw odds, harvest statistics, strategy articles on how to draw different tags and different units across the West. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash J Scott. You're going to get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card just for signing up. I also want to thank my friend uh, Cody Nelson, who's the optics manager over there at GoHunt.com. If you guys are interested in buying any optics at all, whether it be binos, spotting scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call. You can order directly from him, uh, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him a text directly on his cell phone or call him at 602-399-3699. Also, you can reach him at optics at gohunt.com. Guys, I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. They're a direct-to-consumer brand. You can uh, order product right off the website. That's kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Uh, OnXMaps.com. Use the JScott20 promo code to get a 20% discount on all orders. OnX is the mapping uh, resource that I use on my phone, uh, whether I'm hunting, fishing, or in my real estate business. It's got great, great private public land overlay. It's got an aerial hybrid uh, topo features got breadcrumb. Uh, it's got measuring distance. It's a great, great tool. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. And then I also want to thank Apex Ammunition, the home of the tungsten super shot, the TSS. Go to apexmunition.com to order ammo for your tur- upcoming turkey hunt. Uh, guys, let's get right to this episode with Spinnerfall Guide Service. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Scott Barris, the owner of Spinnerfall Guide Service up at the Green River in Utah. Scott, how you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you on this podcast. I've had a guy that guides for you, uh, a friend of mine, Colby Crosland. He's been on the podcast several times, actually did a, a live floating down the river podcast which i get a lot of feedback from um so it's going to be great to have you on today yeah no i'm excited thank you um scott so tell me a little bit about um spinnerfall guide service and how how it all started all right so spinnerfall started as a, a fly shop and a guide service back in 1986 um they were based out of salt lake city and it was started by the howard family um and then basically they were you know, among the first outfitters to have a permit on the Green River and uh, ran that for you know, a bunch of years. And then basically I started guiding for the company in, well, actually started running shuttles for the, for the guides back in 98. And then um, they offered me a job as a guide in 99. So 
um, basically I dropped out of college and, and jumped on board, bought a trip boat instead of paying tuition and um, <laughs> kind of took off from there. Good investment. Um, so what year was that that you really started um, guiding at the green? It was 99. 99. So, I mean, you're, you're uh, 20 years into this. Um, let's talk a little bit about the river itself. Uh, you know, people have heard me do podcasts before and, you know, you've got the Green River all the way up from Wyoming flows all the way down into Flaming Gorge. Uh, and then you've got the ABC uh, section there. Talk a little bit about uh, the river itself. Yeah, so we have 30 miles of water that we're allowed to guide it. It's going from Flaming Gorge down, down to the Colorado state line. Um, the river really changes drastically as you go through 30 miles. You know, you're in a, a really deep canyon section at the first seven miles, which is the A section. And then the next nine miles is the B section, where it kind of changes a bunch in the B. It goes, the first four miles are very similar to the A section. And then you have Red Creek Rapid that comes in and uh, really changes the whole dynamics of the river. It, it puts in a lot of sediment and debris in the water. And that really changes all the you know, the biomass and everything from the river down. So basically from Red Creek Rapid down, the uh, the fish population drops off significantly to where up on the A section you have probably, um, it's dropped in a little bit, but I'd say about 12,000 fish per mile, where the very last mile on the C section, I would say it's probably 250 fish a mile. So it definitely changes pretty, pretty rapidly through the 30 miles there. Scott, at one time, was there eighteen to 20,000 fish per mile in that A section, or do you think that that was a little bit aggressive in the calculations? No, I, I definitely think that, that was pretty accurate. You know, my over the last handful of years, I'd say our fish populations dropped about a third. Um, Why I do you think that, was, that is? I believe it was due to the, um, the high water that we had for five months. So they ran the river at 9,000 CFS for basically from April into July. And um, they found trout down in Lake Powell, which Lake Powell doesn't have trout. So there's one likely source where they came from. Um, and ever since that event, our, our fish population has been a lot lower. So, you know, back in the day, I'd say my, my average guided trip, I'd put about 15, 17 fish in the boat. And I'd say it's, it's dropped, you know, to about 12 fish now. So. You know, quite, quite a big change there. When you talk about uh, Spinner gui uh, Spinnerfall Guide Service, you talk about it starting in Salt Lake City, and then you know you you started guiding for the company, and um, uh, eventually, I assume you took over the company and and bought that from them. And so, um, do you own Spinnerfall yourself, or do you have a partnership group, or how does it work? Yeah, so I, I personally, I own it all 100% myself now. Um, when I bought it um, back in 2002, um, I invested with guides who were, who were guides as well. And I've since bought those guys out of business. Gotcha. Um, your phone broke up a little bit there. Uh, and so from a day-to-day -day basis, uh, I guess, do you live in Dutch John and operate the guide service there? Or, or where do you live and operate the guide service? So really, it's, you know, the, the convenience of cell phones has really changed everything. So I basically just carry two cell phones with me, and that's how I run the business. Um, you know, when a, a customer calls up, I can look at my secondary phone and look at the calendar and everything else or type in their credit card information or 
email or whatever I need to do. And so I basically run it from my home, which is in about an hour south of Salt Lake and then also in Dutch Town. So I basically I split my time, you know, 50-50 between those two places. How much guiding yourself personally do you find yourself doing now compared to back in the day? Um, pretty pretty close to the same, really. I, I still do um, 90 to 100 trips a year out there. So um, that's kind of historically what I did as well. So I, I, I've kind of kept the same the same. How important is it to you to be a business owner and still, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, oars in the water, if you will, um, and be able to run the guide service where, you know, you know exactly what's going on. Uh, you, you know, you know, obviously I think there's, there's owners and other, uh, guide services all over the world that, you know, maybe aren't as in tune as you are. How important is that? Yeah, I, I feel it's very important. You know, I mean, I, I started out as a guide. It's, it's always been my passion. I, I think I like guiding as much or more than fishing myself, actually. I just, I don't know, I really, I'm really passionate about just putting people into fish and showing them a good time out there. And, you know, I, I think rowing actually is, is probably my favorite part. I, I get paid to, to, to exercise every day out there. Um, I just think it's, I don't know, I, I can relate to my guides, see what they're seeing out there and pick their brains and vice versa, you know, so I, I think it's really important to be out there and, I, I enjoy definitely being on the water more than, than doing the office work, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll bet. Right now, we're kind of in an interesting situation, and I'm sure as a business owner, um, I noticed that you, as a business owner, uh, made a decision to kind of pull up stakes, if you will, and um, uh, you're not running trips. That may have changed, so just uh, forgive me or feel free to jump in at any point, but it, it appears as though you've kind of shut down uh, with this COVID-19, uh, any, any thoughts on when you might return as far as uh, guide operation, guide trips on the green? Yeah, so, you know, we, we shut down at the end of March and gave it two weeks, and then it just didn't feel right to come back quite yet. You know, the situation's kind of gotten worse, so I'm just, I'm just taking it week to week right now and trying to trying to do what's right. It's, it's a hard, hard thing to decide because there's so much crazy information out there but you know it, it gives me a little more time to formulate plans with you know having the guides clean their cars extra and boats and and all that kind of stuff so it's it's i mean it's a good break, i think and you know hopefully i'll be going full bore may 1st at the latest and possibly at the end of april yeah um is there a is there a thought to I'm in a similar position as I do um, guided Gould's turkey hunts in Mexico. And um, as of last night, uh, I was scheduled to start on April 18th, and those have all been pushed back. We're hoping possibly we can start uh, May 1st, but I'm, I'm in your same position where you have, you know, your schedule all worked out, your guided trips all worked out, you know, all the logistics with the food and everything just, you know, dialed in and ready to go. Um, is there a thought to potentially, and, and I've, I've been thinking about this situation a lot with a lot of my friends that are guides and outfitters across, across the world, but specifically fly fishing, is there any thought to being able to run a guide trip with just say one guy in the front of your boat? And so you, you know, you're rowing and have one guy, um, you know, do you feel like that 
social distancing aspect between the guy in the very front of the boat and you rowing, does that give enough barrier there? Or do you feel like that that's still kind of encumbering in that, in that six foot space? No, I, I definitely feel that one person is, is definitely a better way to go. It's, it's a little harder to get clients to come out, you know, as, as a single angler, but it's, it's also a huge advantage because you, you have the guy's entire focus on you, where right. he's, he's, his angle of the boat, everything's, you know, set on one person. So, you know, I definitely think one person is, is better in this current situation. You know, it's, it's a tough call because you're outside, you know, it's, you're breathing fresh air. So it's, but you're also, you know, within a few feet of people too. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a tough call right now. Right now uh, on the river, obviously you're not there right now, but obviously we've got the blue winged olive, you know, the, the big spring push, if you will, you get a lot of anglers on the green during this uh, blue winged olive hatch. Um, before you had to shut down, uh, what was the river, how was the river reacting? Were the bugs starting to come off? What What's kind of the word right now? Yeah, so the, the hatch has been getting better basically every day. Um, the water temperature is still pretty cold, so it's like 39.5 degrees right now. So the kind of the trigger is when it hits about 42 degrees. And um, historically around April 15th, they, um, they changed the the depth that they draw the water out of the penstocks of the Flaming Gorge Dam, and that adjusts the temperature up a few degrees. So it's it's almost like clockwork every year that right around April 15th is kind of the, the trigger for, for the blue wings to really take off. You get a very prolific hatch. I've fished it before, but, I mean, would you consider the, the blue-winged olive hatch on the Green River in mid-April to be, like, like you said, like clockwork, and would you consider it to be super prolific? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's times where there's there's almost too many bugs out there where you just have your clients just sit back and just watch because your fly is one in a million and it doesn't really have much of a chance of getting eat, eaten because there's so many bugs on the water. But you're, there are times where you can see almost a 1,000 fish up just chomping on bugs, and it's it's an amazing thing to watch. So it's yeah, it can be frustrating when it gets too thick, but it's also a really cool phenomenon to, to witness as well. I think there's probably times when you're floating and it's, you know, think of middle of the summer, just hot days and, you know, nothing's happening really. And and then you think back at those times when literally like what you're saying is you see a thousand fish heads and, you, you know, you go down a mile and see a thousand more fish heads and literally every seam you're looking at has fish just chomping. Um Talking specifically about this blue wing um, hatch, does it normally go like for a couple of weeks into early May or give us the time frame in which that hatch usually happens? Yeah, so the as I mentioned, the you know, the peaks kind of starts around April fifteenth and then you know the best hatches are typically from the fifteenth till the end of April. And then it kinda the river kinda enters a transition a little bit just depending on the weather and everything. But we'll see blowings, you know, through, you know, early June, we'll still get some blowing olives out there. Um, they tend to get smaller as the hatch goes on. So um, early in the hatch, they'll be like 14s and 16s. And then later in the hatch, they end up being mostly 18s out there. And then, you know, if you, if you get a nice rainy day, like in mid, mid-May, though, you'll get, you'll get tons of blowings out there. So it's, and, a, it's a pretty long, consistent hatch. And the fish immediately, I mean, they, they seem 
as much as any bug I've ever seen, they seem to really key in on when those blue wings adults, well, before the blue wing adults are on the water when they're emerging, but then once they're on the water, it seems like no matter when a blue wing comes off, fish just key in on them immediately. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the blue wings on the Green River are very much gray in color. And I think it's, you know, it's basically the first big meal that the trout have had. They've been eating little scuds and midges all winter. So it's, it's their first exciting big meal of the year. So I, I definitely think it's one of the best hatches in times of the year to fish the green. Let's talk a little bit about the hatch itself um, and how you fish it as, as you know, someone that's guided over 20 years there. Um, kind of in a sequence of a day going out, let's say that we're kind of prime time, blue winged, um, you know, we're right in the window of time when, you know, it's going to happen. Let's say it's a cloudy day. You've got perfect conditions. Uh, from the start, when you put your boat on the water, I, I assume, you know, you probably try and position your eight hour day kind of when it's going to be fishing the best, but let's, let's talk like from beginning to end of day, how you set up your rigs as far as, you know, are you really focusing on those emerging insects until those ad the adults get on the water and kind of talk about your rig and your setup and, and how you see that progressing throughout the day? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of old school because I've been on the river a while, but basically I start out typically with a nine-foot nymph rig in the morning. Um, I still use yarn indicators. I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only guide on the river that still does that. I just... <laughs> I like the way that they work, and it's just I'm kind of stubborn too. So, um, but I basically go about nine feet total length, and I usually fish just tungsten zebra midges. So, in the morning, I'll fish, you know, like a bigger one, like a 16 on the A section, and then a smaller one below it, like a size 18. And I'll fish black usually as as one color, and then either wine, like red wine, or brown is the is the bigger one, and then you know. I'll ask my buddies what color they, they've been getting them on or vice versa. Or if they're being picky on that, then I'll change to like an RS2 or, or something that's more, you know, that floats in the water a little bit better. And then I typically try to just, you know, I, I tell my clients that it's going to be slower in the morning. Some mornings it's amazing, but some mornings it's definitely tougher. And it, it seems like the fish know, depending on the weather, um, they know that it's going to come off and they just some mornings they could care less to feed and they're they're slow and they're just waiting for the hatch so I, i'll typically do lunch pretty early like around 11 so i don't miss the window because the window of the emergence is usually 11 to one o'clock and so you don't want to be eating your cheeseburger out there on the river when when the best fishing is going on so try to try to time my day towards that and then you know, basically just work the river really hard on the on the second half of the day. Um, once the once the bugs start coming off, I, I shorten up my rig from the nine feet to I usually go to about a six foot nymph rig and go pretty heavy on it. So I'll put you know still keep like one or two BBs on it, and then I put a you know keep my bigger zebra midge as my first fly, and then my bottom fly is usually a WD forty or rs2 or gray soft tackle some type of of emerger um when it's cloudy too the you know purple flies work really well on the river um and then once once that rig keeps going if you know if people have caught enough fish then i i'll switch it up to dry flies or dry dropper shallow and just kind of go with you know with depending on their talent and 
you know, they're, if they want to get them on the little dries, it's, it's definitely tough, but you can, you know, if you have skills, you can definitely get them, but your fly's got to be in that little six inch window to, to get them to move to it. Most of the time for a bluing catch, fishing a dry from a drift boat is not like fishing a cicada from a drift boat or a terrestrial where you can, you know, kind of bang around. You, you have to almost get out of the boat and kind of pick fish out that are in a rhythm and kind of get it in their zone, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. So, yeah, you can either fish down to them and, and row really hard on the oars to slow the boat down enough to where they might get two or three shots of presenting to that fish. Or like Colby does a lot, we like sneaking up behind on the fish. Um, so, you know, go back up a back eddy or sneak up behind the fish where they, you know, you're in their blind spot and then fish up to them so your client can get multiple shots over that fish. As, as the fish, as the hatch progresses, and I'm talking not through the day, but as it, as it progresses through the season, you mentioned that the bugs get smaller. So the adults on the water, which I would assume the nymphs as well, and you know, you know, the nymphs that are emerging are smaller, but you actually go fishing adults, you'll actually go to a 18 or possibly even a 20 or, or like 16, 18. And, you know, is that kind of your range of, of size of the adult fly? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I tend to fish a little bit bigger than most guides. Um, I fish a lot of 14s and 16s. I just think it, it stands out a little bit bigger, or, you know, as a bigger bug, bigger offering, and it also has a better hookup percentage. But, you know, the downside of that is that it, it might get refused more, too, because it is out of the norm. So, you know, there's I have guides that fish smaller during that, and I typically tend to go bigger. So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of personal preference, I think. Yeah, and you'd mentioned the color purple, and I think there's been a bunch of studies showing that trout, for whatever reason, the color purple that they can actually really see it. Do you ever fish like, like a purple haze or something like that, where the body is actually not gray; it's actually purple? And have you found that to be, you know, to, to be successful? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great call. And as long as it has a, you know, a nice parachute, you can see it well. And then put a, you know, about eighteen inches behind it, you can put a, a gray RS two, like a small one, size eighteen or so. And I think that's a great great setup it you know something that's purple stands out a little bit different than every other bug they've seen go by so i definitely think that can be a good call as far as the abc section there of the green and talking specifically about blue-winged olives do you see bwos throughout all all sections or is it primarily a, a an a or a b section bug yeah it's definitely more prolific on the the a and the upper b you know, that's definitely the best blue in all of water, without a doubt. Um, below Red Creek, it gets, you still get some great hatches down there, but it definitely dissipates as you go down the river. So, you know, your best best water typically isn't up by the dam either. It's typically the lower half of A and upper B is usually where the, the most prolific bluing olives come off. Let's also talk about um, right now, obviously, a lot of the guide services are shut down up there at the green. If people were uh, hearing the podcast and thinking about, you know, their trip to the green, I know there's a lot of people that like to go this time of year. Um, from someone that's, you know, has 20 years experience and obviously knows what's going on with this situation, 
Um, do you see any problem with, you know, singles and just solo guys just going up, hiking up and, you know, hitting the trail and, and, and going hiking and finding a good spot and fishing and kind of staying away from people? Is that is that um, being looked on, you know, from the local population up there is okay or what is kind of the sentiment uh up there right now it really seems to be you know i've listened in on a couple county meetings and it really seems to be about 50 50 you know so kind of just like how our whole country's divided unfortunately with you know political aspects it seems to be that it's kind of the same feeling in town there's some people that are adamant against it and some people that definitely welcome it and want the business so it's it's hard, you know, it's a tiny little town of, you know, 200 people or so. And, you know, a lot of those businesses are going to be really hurt if, you know, closing down. If, if it opens up by June, I think they'll all make it through. But if, you know, if we get closed out beyond that, I think it's going to be really rough for a lot of people there. Um, so I, I just, you know, encourage people, anyone thinking of coming out, as, as long as you don't have any symptoms or for don't sure. feel you've been in contact with anybody or, anything negative that, you know, just keep your social distance and, you know, just please respect our area just like you would want us to do to yours. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anybody that's listening, if you have symptoms at all, do not go out anywhere in public uh, and certainly don't go to, you know, don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling bad, but I can go fish because, you know, if you come in contact with anybody, you have the opportunity or the chance to infect someone. So that's, that's certainly uh, a good point there. Um, let's transition a little bit from these blue wings and, you know, even then may kind of can get a little different. Um, and I've fished it some in may and it, it sometimes can be great and sometimes can be kind of hit or miss a lot of times too, you know, they're, they're doing the flows and around that, what third week in may talk about the snowpack this year and, if you've heard anything or if it's too early to tell on when they possibly might do that spring flush that they do every year. Yeah. So it's, it's really changed, a, you know, a bit over the last handful of years. Um, the biggest determining factor of high water is the endangered species downstream. So basically um, they wait till they see some of these endangered species hatch and then they raise the water and their, their belief is that, the higher flows um, create more, a bigger environment for these, you know, tiny little fish to survive. They have more hiding or places. Um, so over the last, you know, three years, I'd say the average date of high water is May 25th when it starts, where, you know, preceding that, it used to be more like May 15th. So, I mean, it definitely gives us a better window in, in May but then, you know, on the back end of that, it cuts more into cicada fishing. Um, but overall, I'd say May is, is definitely one of my favorite times to fish the Green River. I'd say probably the, the day that I caught the most fish ever on the river was May 10th. And it was just, uh, you know, the cicadas had come out early, and I was just throwing to Chernobyl Ant. And, I mean, honestly, we couldn't get down the river. We caught so many fish. Just, <laughs> we'd, we'd catch a fish, anchor up, land it, and then off of anchor, they'd catch one or two more fish casting and then i'd pick up anchor maybe make it 50 feet and we'd catch another fish or two and i mean i, I honestly I, I don't think there's many days that i've i've put 100 fish in the boat but i would definitely say that day we we did you mentioned cicadas um i've 
been fortunate, I think, over the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, been able to be up there during cicada time. And, uh, you know, some years have been better than others. It seemed like last year I went three different times and it just, they were, st I kept going thinking they weren't going to be on cicadas and um, they were still eating them. I mean, like a month or even month and a half, they, I, like the last trip was even the best trip. How did, how would you rate the cicada hatch last year compared to your 20 years of experience um on the green yeah i mean i i saw you out there you know a couple times and i, I saw you slamming them so that was <laughs> awesome but um i i would say last year was was top two that i've ever seen it was it was pretty amazing so i would say that prior to last year the 2002 was was the second best year and last year you know if you had 17 years which the, especially the Mondo cicadas tend to be on that cycle. So 2002 to 2019 was 17 years. But the, the very best year I ever saw was 2003, uh, the year right after we had the big fire and everybody was really worried that the fire might have killed all the cicadas and it ended up being the best year that, that we had ever seen. And so, you know, this year definitely, you know, at least in my opinion, is set up to be, you know, top shelf as well. So you think... Uh, after having such an amazing year, there's, there's nothing that would lead you to believe that all of a sudden it's, it's going to be a rough year and they're not going to, they're not going to hatch. You, you believe that we could follow up and have another bang up year. I, I do. I, you know, the, the smaller cicadas are very hard to predict, but the, the bigger ones definitely tend to be on that 17 year cycle. Um, in 2003 we had, I saw some tan ones that I've only seen twice that were, they were tan cicadas about a size six. And then we also had the Mondo cicadas and the little ones. So, you know, definitely have my fingers crossed, but I think this year could be, could be epic out there. Well, that's uh, something that fly fishermen, if anybody's been able to fish that hatch, they know exactly what we're talking about. It's amazing time. Talk a little bit about your rig as far as your, your leader and your length. Uh, let's just say prime cicada fishing. What do you, what, what, you know, are you using 2X or what are you using? Yeah, so, you know, um, kind of a rule of thumb is to take your your fly size and divide it by three, and that's kind of a, a standard tippet size that will cast the fly well. So if you're fishing a size 12, then you'd want to fish 4X. You know, a size um, 10 fly or 8 fly, you'd want to fish 3X. But I, I, tend, to, I tend to go a little heavier, so I definitely... I'm not afraid to throw 2X out there at all on a, you know, a size 10 or 8 fly. Um, you know, when we're fishing out of a drift boat, your fly is floating down to the fish. They don't see they don't see the tippet. They don't see anything. They just see the fly coming down at them. Um, I do believe that having a long leader is, is definitely an advantage. So I would say a 10-foot leader is short. For me, I fish, you know, usually like 10 to 12 feet. Um, I, I just think that they can see that, you know, the fly line coming down. And I definitely wouldn't recommend fishing an orange fly line. Um, I would fish, you know, more neutral colors like sage or gray or something like that. Um, so I, I definitely like the longer leaders. And then I also think that um, putting mucilin on your fly line and your leaders is very helpful out there. It helps keep everything floating good. It gives you more of a, a crisp hook set and, helps you mend the fly as well. And, you know, if you, if you imagine your, your flies there and then your, 
your tippet section is sunk underwater in front of it. If that sunk and you set the hook, your fly is going to dip underwater and then then shoot up in the air. So I think it, it might actually pull the fly out of the fish's mouth more. So I definitely think that having it floating really high is, is a big advantage. So I'll, I'll grease my client's lines up with muslin at least three times a day. To do that, do you dry the... Do you dry the line and then put it on, or do you just put the mucilin on just, you know, with your, your patch or something as it's wet? Yeah, as it's wet. I, I think it, you know, it really repels water really well. So I'll use my fingers or the pad, and and that's basically the first thing I do in the morning when I start my guided trip before I even tie their flies on is I, I clean the first 30 feet of their line and, and grease up the leader everything to, to get it floating good. And it's I just feel it's a really big advantage out there. Talk about, um, you know, fishing a cicada pattern. And one of the things that I learned years ago watching some of the guides and fishing with some of the guides on the green is they turn the boat literally sideways if you're fishing with two anglers and they get the anglers to cast obviously downstream so that the fly is leading the boat. And, you know, I've, I've started seeing it on other rivers as well, but at the green, it's you guys are notorious for basically getting those bugs way out in front of the boat, downstream, for the listeners, downstream of the boat, and then the guides have an amazing way to keep that boat where both fishermen, their their bugs are like leading the parade, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a huge advantage. So I'd say the, you know, the distance you want to be is 35 feet from the boat. I think if you're closer, the fish can definitely see, you know, the the silhouette or the profile of the angler there. So I think distance is definitely key. And then, yeah, I mean, people, the guides will trust the middle of the river a lot. You know, there's all the all the shore anglers want to be out in the middle, and all the boat <laughs> anglers want to be on the on the banks. Mm-hmm. But you know, just getting a long drift. We have so many fish in our river that if you can just get those long drifts, eventually. You know, you're, you're floating a cheeseburger down the river. Eventually, somebody's going to be greedy and come up and grab it. Um, but to, you know, to your point of getting the boat sideways, it is hard to control. So you, you try to crab or you you try to slow the boat down as much as you can so you're not, you know, running over your flies. And so I tend to, I tend to push the boat forward and then pull it back and push and then pull and then just kind of keep the speed. And, you know, you definitely have to have your – your clients leave a, a bit of slack out there. So I always want at least three feet of slack on the, on the fly line. And I think that, you know, it, it makes up for my errors rowing. And then it also slows down your hook set because you're, you're fishing such a big bug that the fish eat it slowly. They don't just come up and, and hammer that thing. They've, they've learned if they're slower, their, their chances of, if it's a fake offering is of getting away is better. So the fish come up, eat it really slow. I think they they keep their mouth open and go down about a foot or so with their mouth open and use the, the water to force that bug down their throat. So if you set the hook too early, I think you just you pull it right back out of their mouth. Wouldn't you agree too? I mean, you've seen it for a long time. A lot of those as the as the fishing pressure increases and the hatch goes on and they've they've been hooked a time or two, they quickly get to where they'll just basically float and follow with their nose right under the bug and then they'll come up and just tap it with their nose to see if it's the angler's going to yank it out of there 
talk about what you do or what you tell clients when the bugs, you know, floating and the fish is basically right underneath it. I mean, <laughs> it's hard because it's, it's such a visual river. The river's crystal clear. You can see this fish moving up to, up to your fly. You've, you know, you've flown in from California or wherever you're, you're totally excited at your moment. And yeah, I mean, people definitely pull the trigger way too early very often. So I, you know, kind of a standard saying is came from New Zealand, the God save the queen. When you see the fish coming, let them eat the fly and go down and, you know, it's it's typically better to be late than early. So the guys that tend to do the best on the cicadas are, are drunks and 80-year-olds because they're, <laughs> they're just a lot slower on their reaction. Um, let's shift a little bit talking about some of the other terrestrials. Uh, I know ants have been a huge um, consistent fly there on the Green River. When do you normally see you know, some of the ants and, you know, some of the triple doubles and some of those things become a, a real prevalent fly for guys catching fish. Yeah, I mean, the, the triple double is definitely one of the very best flies on the river, hands down. It's I'd put it among the top probably five flies on the river. You know, I, I carry them in tan, um, black, and also in purple for cloudy days. Um, those flies definitely just they land the right way no matter which way they land and they sit pretty low in the water and i don't know they don't they don't have an indicator so they're a little bit hard to see but they that fly just it just works it looks like a beetle or an ant or could be a caddis it's just a very fishy fishy fly um, but they you know the ants can come off basically from late april through the rest of the year um, a lot of times when there's you know fish that are being really picky, a, a size 18 parachute ant will usually do the trick on that fish. It's just a, a food source that I, I think they they really care to eat. In the case of fishing ants, um, do you find yourself? Let's say it's cicada type season. You know it's June um, into May, June, and it's you know cicadas are out. Do you fish a single cicada or do you fish a cicada with with say a triple double or something trailing it or are you are you strictly focused on that single bug um i, I personally like the the single bug better i think the double the double rig tends to drag one another which you know the, the fish on the green see so many flies that if if it's not drifting perfectly they're they're going to refuse it um the the only time i typically like a double rig is during the caddis because the caddis, you know, will skitter and, and dance around out on the water and skate. Yeah. So I, I typically don't. Some some guides definitely, you know, it's it's playing the odds really because you have double the chances to, to draw their attention. But you know, in, in my mind, if it's not perfect, then it's it's not going to work. You mentioned caddis uh, last summer. I was there, and it was the first time that I got to see really good. I don't know why, but it was kind of the first time that I had seen fish really key in on caddis. Um, talk about caddis, kind of the colors that you like, and and some of your experience fishing caddis. Um, you know, whether it be dries or um, the caddis pupa or larva or what have you. Yeah, so the you know I I think caddis is definitely among the trout's favorite food if if it's not their very favorite. It's you know you don't see too many 
bugs where the fish jump out of the water who seem to be chasing those emergers and they'll jump, you know, three feet out of the water trying to get that bug. So for whatever reason, it, it's like trout candy for them. You know, they, they love those things. And when we have the caddis on the river, there's, there's also other hatches going on. So when they first start at the end of June, we have PMDs and also yellow sally stoneflies. So, you know, there's definitely fish that seem to, to key into each one of those hatches. But if you ask me, I, I personally think the, the caddis outfishes all of those other ones. So, you know, a lot of guides will fish a, a yellow sally and a caddis pattern, but I, I typically just go double caddis out there or, or single caddis, depending on what I see. What colors? Um, so the caddis on the green are... They're usually, you know, you see some 14s through 18s, even 20s. Um, they can be black, they can be tan or gray. I'd say tan and gray are the, the more common ones. So there's definitely a, a few varieties of them out there. And I'll, I'll typically fish, you know, just a basic elk hair caddis, like a size 16 or 14, just something that's easy to see. And then I'll put a, a much smaller one behind it. So I'll, Same I'll color, them. you'll just get way smaller and a little micro. Um, sometimes. So I'll, I'll fish a peacock caddis. That's a that's a great little fly. Is my my back fly or a smaller fly, and then just yeah, one I can see, and usually one of those will will do the trick. Caddis typically on the green. When do you see them? When do you see the adults? Um, or, or let me back up. When do you see the fish? truly keen in on the surface with caddis is it a day hatch or an evening or what what do you see the most um you, you definitely see both um you know the evenings can be phenomenal i've we had a trip a couple years ago where we went down the river and we basically just took a side so i was with um you know a, a paying guide trip and then my my clients that were in the other boat were just had their own boat and so we let them choose they chose left side we chose right side or took the right side and basically they had a banner day you know this was in the evening and we had a rough day like we had like a handful of opportunities and they they said it was one of the best days they ever had out there so it was kind of a, a freak occurrence out there where for whatever reason the wind or whatever the factor was all the bugs seemed to be on the left side of the river that day and is there, I mean, was shade a factor or like you, you, you mentioned wind, wind can play havoc when, even with blueing olives, if you get wind, it blows the adults off the water. Um, talk about that, what you yeah, do in a windy situation. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it seems to blow to one side or the other a lot. You know, if it's, if it's windy, it definitely an emerger just below can be key because the, the trout don't want to come up and eat something, a meal that's going to escape from them all the time and be harder. So I think they'll definitely focus on, on bugs, you know, just in the surface film or, or down a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, I've seen it, you know, where it's shady on the left side could be definitely a big factor. You know, shade is, you know, helps the trout hide from all the ospreys and the anglers out there. So there's definitely times on the green where fishing, you know, my whole day is made by the, the shady spots, you know, all the dry or the sunny spots just aren't doing as well where the, the shade is, seems to be the key to that day. But then I've, I've seen the, the same thing where the wind blew um, during the cicadas last summer. Uh, one of my other guides, JD, was on the right side and I was on the left side. And I watched him get six doubles in a row. <laughs> like it, it was insane. And we caught like 
two or three fish during while well, he caught 12 and it was, it was just insane <laughs> and that's when you say i'm the owner we're switching sides <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's all good i, I think yeah. we all just want our clients to have fun and yeah. it is what it is you know it's for sure there's talk a little bit about that from a guiding standpoint and you know obviously the green gets a lot of traffic uh, recreational traffic fishing traffic uh, as well as you know wade fishermen um and the ethics as far as giving people space and and all of that i know you know people come from all over and they have different spacing and different ideas of what's you know like if you come from a place where you don't ever see anybody you think if someone gets a hundred yards from you you know, if there's a wade fisherman and, and a guide's coming down right, you know, river right, and there's a wade fisherman and he's like 100 or 200 yards. And I've seen it where guide boats, you know, then will, you know, about 100 yards out, they'll kind of pull and go around. But it's kind of difficult because everybody has a different sense or threshold of what's acceptable and what's not. I mean, if you fish the green or the San Juan or some of these places, you know, or in Montana where you get tons of pressure, it may be you give a guy on, you know, in another boat or, or wade fisherman, you know, 25 yards and you move around and you think everything's fine and they freak out. Talk about from your perspective on the green, what is kind of an acceptable buffer, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, as you mentioned, it's kind of a, a tough call. You know, I, I think you should just go with kind of the, the golden rule, you know, to where you do unto others as you'd want done to yourself. So, you know, if, if you feel like, you know, you, you especially if somebody's hiked up three or four miles up the river, I definitely I'll tend to give them a lot more space than I would, you know, the guy that's sitting right at the boat ramp at Little Hole there. Um, but it's it's a hard thing, you know. I mean, there's there's tons of water out there, and there's, you know, that's one great thing about the green is there's, there's hundreds of good spots, you know. It's not like everybody needs this one hole to, to catch fish. So, you know, I definitely think you need to give people space. And, um, you know, probably the, the thing that drives the guides crazy the most is when somebody is rowing right down the bank because that, that messes up the fishing for everybody behind him for the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, keeping off the bank a good 20, 30 feet will definitely help everybody else out. But it's, yeah, I mean, typically you should go down the river. If you're going to fish back up a back eddy, you should go to the bottom of the back eddy and then come up it, not not cut into it in the middle and cut somebody off that way. And, I mean, it's it's hard. You get people, like you said, from all over, and they have different views of, of how it should be. And I know I've made people mad, and other people have made me mad. And typically the, the only time a guy is going to yell at you out there is when they're having a tough day where they right. you know, they feel like they're they're desperate to get their client another opportunity or two. So usually we, we tend to get along pretty well where you know i've heard horror stories from other places where tires get slashed or you know things of that nature but typically on the green we're, we're pretty nice with everybody yeah i've i've certainly had my own situations where i've had guides on the green that have been very gracious with me whether i've gotten the boat out of position or you know not paying attention and trying to net a fish or you know just you know basically doing our thing and then realize we've just mucked up someone's deal and you know for the most part i've I've had a you know it's not like it's happened a bunch but i've definitely had a few times where guides could have 
probably chewed me out and were very gracious. So, you know, it seems like that um, environment up there is, is a nice, you know, just good, solid environment of guides and from, from all companies as well. It's, it just seems like it's a good place. One thing we haven't talked about is streamers. Um, streamers on the green, if you had to pick one color, I'm not even going to tell you conditions, but just one color of streamer on the green, what would your color be? I would say ginger, probably without a hesitation. So um, that ginger, for those listening, that's kind of a yellowish color, right? Kind of a, a, a yellowish, tannish kind of color? That best way yeah, to describe it? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure why it works so good. and Maybe it looks like a little brown shroud or little sculpin but i don't know that that color fly you know basically there's a fly called a goldilocks which is basically just a, a really heavy woolly bugger that's gold color and that fly works really good every every guy on the river has that in their in their fly box and you know typically if i'm throwing streamers i'll throw on a, like a black sex dungeon or a black sculpin or something and then a, a gold fly a goldilocks or something and you know kind of see which one the fish seem to be responding to better that day. Um, you know, purple is always a great fly on colored, you know, on cloudy colored days. And then, um, you know, white can be really good. You know, a lot of guides like olive. I, I personally don't like olive out there, but a lot of people love that color. So I think, you know, the fly speed and, and the location, you know, if you, if your fly lands two or three feet in front of a, a fish that's angry or aggressive, then, I think that's more important than, than anything, really. What would you say ideal streamer conditions, whether it be time of year, you know, sunny, cloudy, stormy, what is what in your mind on the green makes for ideal streamer fishing or time of year? Or, or talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say probably the most consistent time of year to, to fish streamers is probably February and into early March. Um, that just seems that the fish are really aggressive towards them that time of year. Maybe they're just hungry and tired of eating the same, <laughs> tired of midges, scuds and midges <laughs> and everything. So that time of year is probably the most consistent. Um, you know, I typically, I don't do as well on bright sunny days, you know, throwing streamers definitely. Um, I would say it's more, you know, super early in the morning or, you know, at dusk or the typically the two best times overall. And then, yeah, those dark, cloudy days or when it's raining seem to be seem to be great streamer weather. When basically, when we don't want to be out there is, is when the streamers seem to be yeah. the best. Let's talk about um, some of the big fish in the river. And from someone that's done it twenty plus years, you know, are there as many big fish as there's ever been? Are there less big fish? And I'm talking about, you know. Well, your idea of big and my idea of big are probably two different things, but talk about the, the absolute, you know, giant, giant, giant fish, like, you know, the, the, the one fish per section, and then talk about, you know, just some of those chunky, you know, whether it be 20 to 25 inch type fish, um, give us a feel for what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the green definitely holds a lot of huge fish. I would say pretty much every big deep pool that you go through on the A and upper B section, I would say that those, those spots all have a eight pound plus trout in them. You know, there's, there's gotta be one trout that's, that's the big dog in all those spots. And I think those fish, I think they really just hang out most of the day and 
just wait till nighttime to feed. So I think they just sit behind a big boulder in a rapid or wherever they're comfortable and just hang out most of the time. So they're they're really hard to hard to get to. You know, the biggest trout I've ever seen on the river, I would guess about thirty pounds. Oh um, my it was, gosh. It was a, a huge rainbow. I mean the the red stripe would have been a nice trout. The red stripe was probably six inches tall and over twenty inches long. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah, I mean there there's fish in there that are just monstrous. You know? What happened to that fish or did did you see someone catch it or just watched it or what? Yeah, so a handful of us, this was back when I first started guiding, a handful of us knew about it. It was about two and a half miles down on the A section, and you know, a bunch of people put a bunch of weights on sculpins and tried to run it in front of it, and <laughs> basically nobody ever hooked it to my knowledge. But, I mean, yeah, it was it was just a monster fish. Jeez. But, the you know, the biggest trout ever caught on the green used to be the world record. It was 29 pounds back in 98, which it's it's been broken several times since then, but... Yeah, there's there's some monster trout out there. The the biggest one I've ever had somebody catch was 31 inches and probably about 11 pounds. Brown or rainbow? A uh, brown trout, and it, it ate a dry fly, ate a size two hopper. No and, way. Yeah, did you so know? It, like, did you target the fish, or did you just all of a sudden see the snout come up and just die? No, you could see it from from quite a ways away, from almost 100 yards away. You could see it up there. It was. It was a windy day in August, and there were just tons of grasshoppers getting blown in the river, and it was just up there sucking, sucking them down. And um, The guy, actually, the guy in the front of the boat, his fly got to the fish first, and the fish ate his fly, and he fumbled his fly rod, dropped his fly rod in the boat. <laughs> As I and, would, too. <laughs> and he never even set the hook. The fish spit the fly back up, and then his daughter was in the back of the boat, and she had the exact same fly on, and coming right behind it and she hooked it and actually you know about a half hour later landed it so unreal did the fish go just nuts when she hooked it oh yeah it was i mean i just she was on a little five weight winston rod super soft and i i basically just rode my ass off and stayed right on top of it yeah as close to the fish as i could and it ran you know basically up to the top of the run and then all the way at the bottom and yeah i mean we fought it for like a half hour and there was an island down below us, and I was finally like, you know, we, we have to make a stand here because if it gets in there, there's a lot of stuff it could get caught on. So we, I pulled over and anchored the boat up, and I mean, I didn't even know how to get it because <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> bigger, it was than, way your bigger net. than my yeah, way bigger <laughs> than my net, and I didn't want to be the one who messed it all up. Yeah, you know, I made a few stabs at it and finally finally got it in. So what? So was it just hanging out of the net? Oh yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely. I mean, I couldn't measure it on my cooler, so I had to, <laughs> I had to soak the floor of my drift boat, and then you know lay the fish down, and then get the tape measure to measure it, and then you know put it back. But that fish, um, I've actually, so that was in 2008, and I've hooked that fish three other times, never got it again, but I've I've hooked it, and you know, it's it's always been in the same spot. How big is it now? Um, it's hard to say. I don't think it's much bigger, like lengthwise. But, I mean, it's definitely, you know, you don't see too many alligator heads sticking out of the river <laughs> eating eating dry flies very often. And, eating small children that float by. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I it was up eating PMDs one day, and I've seen it also, you know, I've, I've got it twice to eat the, the big grasshopper things, you know, patterns, and then, you know, I was up eating PMDs another day, so. 
Is it one of those things that every single time you float by, you look over where he's, where is it a, a, a male or female? It's a male and it's, yeah, it's in the middle of a run and just this froggy water. Like it doesn't look like anything good. And I've, every time I'm there, I definitely look. <laughs> Where's, I, I, what's his nickname? Do you, I'm sure you named him something. You know, the client named it Ganuba, which is <laughs> pretty funny, but I, I don't think the fish is still alive anymore. I, I hooked it two years ago with a client and he had it on for a second. We, we got it, you know, he had hooked it and it just popped right off and I, I saw it sideways for a second, but it, that time i mean it time stood still during that like i told the clients like don't move like you know any little movement in the boat or anything might have spooked it and it was that was a very intense moment probably the most intense moment of my guiding career really because i knew what it was and what you know it's almost better if you don't know isn't it yeah oh yeah definitely (laughs) uh you hear very little about the c-section and most of what I hear about the C-section is guys going down there and absolutely just getting it handed to them and not catching, I mean, like getting skunked and not catching a single fish. There are times, though, that I know that the guides have it kind of dialed in and can catch quite a few fish on C. Talk about that. Talk about C. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely holds more fish than people think, but they're, I don't know, they're more temperamental down there. They're they're definitely spookier, you know. They're, if you get too close in a boat, you definitely have to, you know, I mentioned on the upper river, 35 feet is my ideal, where down there I'd say it's, it's definitely another 10 feet, you know, 40 or 45 feet down there. Um, so they, they see far less pressure. Um, they have less bugs, though, as well. So there's less, because the river's sandier, there's less natural hatches and, and opportunities for them. So they tend to be more more apt to come up and eat a, a big dry fly down there. Um, uh, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, I saw an aquatic wasp patch down there, which I've never seen since. And these these things were like a size eight, um, three segments, and the middle segment was bright red. So if you had anything that was black and bright red on, basically the fish were going nuts. And it blew my mind how many fish I saw rising. I, I saw hundreds of fish rising down there, which I'd never seen before. So there's definitely more fish down there than people think, but they, I think you scare them a lot more than you actually get your fly to them. In other words, before you're even in the game, they're already spooked and off of your, off of your rig. Like you, you don't even, you're not even in the game basically. Yeah. I, I think that happens a ton where, you know, on the A or the B, they see enough boat traffic where, the fish that you're floating down to just hold their spot where I think down on sea you, you spook a fish and it spooks downstream and then it spooks you know the next 10 fish as well so I, I definitely think it's it's definitely tougher down there to, to catch fish but you know as you mentioned at times it's it's the best spot on the river to be fishing too you know hatches tend to move up a river system because the water temperature warms up down there so you know especially the the yellow sally hatch can be really good on sea before anybody's seen any on on a or b yellow sally is a bug that um i mean on a lot of these western rivers you can get just blanket hatches of yellow sallies and it 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 took me a while to figure and i still don't have them figured out but it took me a while to actually get where i caught fish on yellow sally dries and i don't know what my problem was but do you 
speaking of yellow sallies, do you fish a yellow sally nymph, like an iron sally or something like that? When when the yellow sallies are real, you know, right right when they're you know hatching, do you fish a nymph or are you strictly fishing a dry? Um, you know, I I tend to fish dry to solo a lot, but I definitely like the dry dropper, especially. Um, you know, the, the fish population, as I mentioned earlier, has dropped a, a bit. So I tend to find myself fishing a dry dropper rig a little bit more. Um, gives you, you know, just that handful more of opportunities for your clients. And then Iron Sally is, is definitely one of the very best patterns. What size on the green would you like a 14? Uh-huh. Yep. I like the 14. And, you know, I, I fish a Frenchie a lot too. You know, Frenchie could be a caddis or it could be a yellow Sally um, down there. And, you know, the yellow sallies, they, they tend to come out in waves. So they'll be like none, and then all of a sudden they'll be just like a couple hundred of them dancing on the river, dropping their eggs. And then they just all of a sudden fly back to the rip to the bushes and do their thing. And then, you know, another wave will come a little later. So they're, they're definitely a little bit more random than, than some of the other hatches. When the yellow sallies are going, you talk about those waves. I mean, do you get where you're fishing yellow sally when they're really on, and then you go back and switch and fish something else, and then when you kind of start noticing them again, you switch, or do you just fish yellow sally throughout the whole, you know, three-hour period or something? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're kind of going on when the caddis are out there. So, you know, a lot of what I'll do is actually fish a, a amber triple-double. Mm-hmm. So an amber triple-double definitely looks like a, yellow sally but it could be a caddis as well so mm-hmm. it's a it's a great kind of overall pattern so i'll typically fish that fly and then you know as i mentioned a, a little caddis uh, behind it um the yellow sallies are, are interesting though because um when i first started guiding we didn't have any of them on the river really so, yeah so i i kind of have a, i have a theory on where they came from um a bunch of the guides, including myself, used to go up and fish the the upper green in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and they had Love a prolific catch up. Yeah. yeah, they had had a prolific catch up there, and I I think that we brought them on our drip boats. You know, the eggs and some of the the live bugs as well. And Interesting. I, I honestly think that's where they they came from on our river. You know, it's funny. The last couple of years, you know, kind of in that June, July, it was probably July more. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I just think back, you know, when I first started going to the green compared to now, it seems like yellow sally, there's, I mean, prolific yellow sally hatches. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of our very best hatches there. I think our PMDs used to be really good and they've declined and the yellow sallies seem to, to take off better on our river. And it could could definitely be due to the, the fire that we had in 2002, the Mustang Ridge fire. Um, that blew a ton of sediment into the water, and I think the yellow sallies like that, and the, the PMD nymphs probably don't like it as much. Interesting stuff. Well, Scott, you've been very generous with your time. It's been great talking to you about the Green River, um, and, you know, I've always, even before I met Colby, I've always admired the uh, guides at, at Spinnerfall um, floating on the river, and um, you've got a great group uh, that, that work with you. Um, it always seems that the Spinnerfall guys are always, their clients are always hooked up on fish. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had situations where I've bumped into different guides and it seems like the Spinnerfall guys have 
and, and not that the other guide services haven't. I don't want that to come off like that, but um, just always admired the staff that you have and the, you know, the quality of people that you have and the, you know, they're, they're great guides and great fishermen. Um, so that's kudos to you and you're running a, a great operation. I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know the best way to um, sign up for a uh, guided floating trip or wade trip or whatever you want to do and tell them how, how to follow you on, you know, your channels or what have you. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so you can find us probably the easiest way is just spinnerfall.com. And then I believe we're the only company on the Green River that you can book online. So we have an online calendar there that allows you to book or you can see the availability. And then um, you can also send us an email at info at spinnerfall.com. Or you can also call 877-811-3474. And then, again, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions about the hatches or the river or anything. So even if you're not going to book a guided trip, I'm happy to, to point you in the right direction. Well, I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us. Uh, let's hope that we can get this uh, virus behind us and um, all of the small business uh, owners across uh, this country and the world can get back to work and uh, healthy and, and safe. And, and um, you know, I think one of the things, Scott, that this has done for a lot of people is, and I know it has for me, it's kind of like when we can get all of this behind us I want to really take advantage of the time because you know everyone everyone's time is limited and you know we're not we're not going to live forever and it's going to make me cherish uh, a lot of the things that I love uh, even more and I'm, I'm sure you from a guiding perspective sometimes it can get long and, and hard and um, but I think it's going to refresh a lot of people and and create a sense of you know of why we love what we do and and we're going to take care of it and we're going to do it to the best of our ability and um you know i think i think it's you know there is some silver lining in what's going on i just hope all of us can stay in business and and come out of this which i know we will we'll come out of this stronger and be in a good mindset and um, encourage anyone out there listening uh give scott and his group a call at spinnerfall guide service and uh, scott it's always great having you on uh, look forward to doing it again and uh, wish you the best of success. Awesome. Hey, really appreciate you having me and definitely let me know when you're coming out. I have a few flies for you. <laughs> All right, buddy. Sounds good. You take care. Okay. All right. You too. Thanks All so much. All right. Bye.